0: I appreciate the opportunity to share. Uh, like every time I actually preach the, the word, I always had this apprehension of uh, serving the Lord and allowing Him to speak through me and praying for a humble spirit. And that's kind of where I am right now. But I'd like to say something about Joel. And I don't want him to get a big head about this, okay? Because I know as pastors, sometimes uh, it goes to the wrong spot, okay? When I came here, uh, I was looking for a place where I could at least share my giftedness as an old man, (laughs) okay? Some of that giftedness is way down here as far as ability anymore, but Joe and I and Kevin, we started talking a little bit, and uh, you've got two elders and a retired pastor filling each other out, okay? And uh, my concern is this a, a apostate church is concerned, is this guy a false teacher? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and here we are in Jude <laughs> talking about false te- teachers, and I can say with confidence, that your pastor is doing what he's supposed to do. One of his main responsibilities is protect the sheep. And
1: he has done that with me. And I'm happy to say that this is a gospel preaching church. Grace and grace only through faith is the avenue
0: to our Lord and to our eternal life. And that's what you believe. And that's what I believe too. For by grace are you saved, not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. Not a worse. So none of us can boast about that. Well, uh, looking at Jude, uh, the first thing I'd like to do as soon as I find the passage is to remind. Uh, two times in the book of Jude, he talks about reminding. Uh, one of them, he, he talks uh, in the passage that we're going to look at, uh, he wants to remind us about what the apostles had to say about end time. Uh, in the beginning, uh, he wants to uh, remind us of what we knew in the past, especially about uh, Egypt and how, uh, which is an interesting comment, the Lord Jesus Christ brought the people out of bondage. And I thought that's an interesting look at what we always thought about God leading out uh, the Egyptians, or the Egyptians, the, uh, the, the Jews, uh, the Israelites. Uh, he used Moses, uh, but it was the Lord Jesus leading them. But he,
1: <clears throat>
0: Pastor Joel has brought us to the point about who wrote it. Uh, Jude, he was a half-brother of Jesus. He was a brother of James. He brought us to the point uh, that Jude was presenting himself, number one, as a slave of Jesus Christ. That was his position. Half-brother, he knew Jesus. Uh, Matter of fact, most of his uh, time with Jesus uh, during his Jesus ministry, he didn't even believe in Jesus but the Holy Spirit got a hold of him. And then he gives us three blessings about you and me because he's speaking to a church. He's speaking to a body of believers, and he says, those who are called. And this word called is not like
1: calling sinners, okay? It's it's a different word. It, it, It means compelled. Okay,
0: this word means compelled. I like the King James version in the book where Paul wrote, The love of Christ constrains him. Okay, and that's what he's saying here. He's talking to believers who are constrained by the love of God. And this constrained word, this compelled word, means that God is going to take us. And he is going to begin to shape us in the image of his son, Jesus Christ, which you find in, in Romans chapter eight. And he's going to do what it takes. You know, and I keep telling God, he I said, God, I said, that's a round hole you're trying to shove me, and I'm square. He says, That's all right, Jim. I'm gonna take care of the edges for you. And that's what he's telling us here.
1: Those who are compelled. And beloved, now beloved has a has a wonderful meaning. It means that we're of a special class. You know that we're we're, uh, we're some someone that God shows partiality to. We're highly esteemed. The love of Christ. We see the picture of the Holy Spirit. We see the picture uh, of the Father, and we're kept. We're kept. Jesus
0: said, I will never lose any that the Father gave me. Paul says that he was convinced that neither life nor death nor angels nor powers nor principalities nor anything else in God's creation in separating him from the love of God, which is in Jesus Christ.
1: What a statement. We're kept by God. We fall into grace. We never fall out of grace. We're kept by the love of God. And so that's who he's talking to. And can I say...
0: Because in verse 20, we're going to change the present tide, excuse me, present tense. He's talking to this church.
1: He's talking to New Eden. He's telling you that the Holy Spirit compels you. That the Lord is keeping you. And that you are beloved. And all I can say, geez, thanks. Thanks, Lord. That's humbling, you know. That also relieves a lot of weight for us. I don't have to earn my salvation because it's by grace. It is all God's work in us, it's all God's work in this community of believers. Oh, so. so as we go
0: down, uh, we looked at the reason he wrote, false teachers. They were slithering in, just like Satan in the garden. They're like snakes. You don't know they're there, but they're there. And so Jude says, this is what they're like. And so he gives us a history uh, using triads of what they were like. He says, and he goes into the Old Testament. You know, the Old Testament is written for us. We're supposed to learn from the Old Testament. And Jude is saying, hey, I want to tell you some things you already know, but I remind you. And so he gives us a a picture of what it was like uh, and the people and as they were taken out of Egypt. And uh, he talks about Cain, he talks about Balaam, who was a false prophet, and he was doing the, the cursing, or trying to curse anyway. Uh, Israel, uh, for a little money, you know, I tend to go on side trips. okay? So, I want to tell you about Balaam just a little bit. So, Balaam goes up, his donkey's smarter than he is. Balaam goes up this this road, and he takes the kings up there that want him to curse, and He gets up on there, and he looks down, and he can't say a word about Israel. Can't say a bad word about him. He wants to. He wants the money. But let me tell you, uh, when I did a study of tabernacle, one of the things I discovered is how God told those Israelites to line up around the tabernacle. The Levites first around the tent of the tabernacle. Uh, I know Judah was in the east because of where Jesus coming from. And that's the tribe that Jesus came out of. But when
1: he looked down, you know what he saw? A cross. They were lined up like a cross. Balaam, for
0: want of greed, want of money, couldn't curse them. But anyway, we see what they're like. We get a picture by looking into the Old Testament and said, let me give you some examples, Jude says. Some p- things that you know, okay? And there's some things that we didn't know. I mean, I don't even, uh, I'm not familiar with the book of Enoch, but that's where it came out of. But those people knew. Those people knew what he was talking about. And so we get this picture of what false preacher or false teachers look like, what their actions are. Uh,
1: it's amazing. It's amazing what he gives us. Uh, so, before we get into 17, I'd
0: like to share one thing. I'd like to take this thought about being in Jude and go a little bit further with it, okay? Uh, the first thing I'd like to say is in 2 Peter. I believe, do I have a slide on that? I told him good luck. <laughs> yeah we got the doctrine first, don't we? Back it up, back it up, okay? The doctrine of false teachers, uh, what he is speaking about is a belief called antimonian, and these are people who believe that since we live under grace, it don't make any difference what you live like. They're antimonians. They don't believe the law pertains to anything, and I, I agree that Christ fulfilled the law, and he fulfilled it by paying the price that the law demanded for sin. But he still, there is an expectation of us living a life like Christ, not in our own uh, strength, uh, but in the strength of the Holy Spirit. As he imparts the the, the, the spiritual fruit in our lives, as he molds us, as he shapes us, we,
1: my name isn't Jim Manny anymore. My name's Christian, okay? And when
0: I used to come to the table where my mom and dad and I sat, and brothers and sisters sat at the table, there were certain expectations out of me. You keep one hand off of the ta- only on the table. Don't no elbows, okay? You pray first. Uh, you carry on a conversation. Uh, you eat all your food. I didn't like that one. <laughs> God has the same thing. We are children of God now, and there are expectations out of us, not because we have to live like we're going to have to keep the law to be to have salvation. It is because I love my Lord Jesus, and I want to obey him and his commandments, and that love fills me. The Holy Spirit fills me with a desire. And so now, instead of having to keep rules and regulations, I want to please my Lord.
1: Our, our salvation, our Christianity is not about a list of do's and don'ts it's about a
0: relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, and that relationship is one of love, and that love that he fills with me fills in me, what makes me want to love you and you and you and my neighbor and uh and it all it all comes from the Holy Spirit
1: as he fills us, but anyway um Getting back to this book, Antimonians, one who
0: holds uh, that under the law, under the gospel, excuse me, the moral law is of no use or obligation because faith alone is necessary for sal- salvation. So they say, since you're under grace, do what you want. Now, Paul answered that. He says,
1: where sin abounds, what, is, what happens? Grace does more abound. And then he says, oh, and
0: I'm paraphrasing this now. That means if I sin more, I get more grace. Well, good idea. Now, he poses that as a rhetorical question, and he says, by no means no. No. But this is what was being taught. It was being taught that it's okay to live like you want to live. Let the flesh reign you, yourself. So anyway, but but if we look at 2 Peter one twenty. we find for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And Jude is being carried on by
1: the Holy Spirit to speak to us. He's writing, but the Holy Spirit is superintending. And
0: if we would look at chapters 14 through 16 of John, we would find this.
1: Jesus says, i got to leave, but I'm going to send you another. And that other means just like, okay? This, is, this another
0: was one who called alongside. This another was called the comforter. This another said that he would convict the world of sin. He would convict the world of righteousness. And more importantly, for today, Jesus said he also says he will speak of me. And the idea is the Holy Spirit's not going to lift himself up; the Holy Spirit is going to speak about Jesus, and we're the Holy Spirit are going to tell us about Jesus' heart. And that's what this book is about. It's
1: Jesus telling. A church that was in danger about his concern. The Hebrew writer writes this. For we
0: do not have a high priest who is able to unable to sympathize with our weaknesses,
1: but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence, draw
0: near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and grace in time
1: and need. That word sympathy, sympathize, means to co-suffer. And why is Jesus Christ able to co-suffer? And C.S. Lewis talked about this. And he talked about a man walking in the headwind. And that headwind was named temptation. And the longer he walked, the tire you got. And the longer he walked, the harder the, the
0: temptation wind blew. And finally, he laid down and
1: gave up. And that's us. That's me. Many times, that's me. But I've got a savior to understand sin, because he resisted that win all the way. And he can go oh, suffer when I suffer. He can have joy when I have joy. And he can look at a church who was in
0: the struggling struggle of false teachers, and he can sympathize with them. And so he's writing to the church, and I don't know what church it is, because it doesn't tell me,
1: but I know whose church it is here. He's writing to us because he's concerned. And what is he concerned about? That they are causing division. I want to pray, but I want to say one thing about division. There isn't anything
0: that Jesus Christ is more maverick about than division in the church. And he lays a lot on the elders because he's, you know, in a lot of his books, you got a woman that's gossiping and causing strife
1: and division, talk to her and warn her. If she doesn't quit, throw her out. You got a man living with a woman, uh, his his dad's wife, get rid of him.
0: Anything that causes division, not that he doesn't want them back, you get rid of them because you hope that they will repent and come back to the Lord Jesus Christ isn't done out of, out of uh, contempt. It is done out of love, done out of love, but... Our Lord Jesus Christ is concerned about division because that is a picture of Satan in the garden because that's what he did. He first divided the wife and the husband, and then after he got done doing that, he divided God between the wife and the husband so there was separation. That is a tool from Satan. And so he's writing this. Jesus is writing this to us to
1: beware of false teachers. And the fact that they caused division, and so uh, as we we
0: go through this, I've got an outline. I think that's slide five, and this is what I'm going to be looking at, reading 17 through 24. We're going to contend because that's what uh, Jesus is going to write to us about right now. We've looked about what was happening. We looked about who he's, who he's writing to. We looked about His concern, and then we looked about His his command, His contend, contend for the faith. And what is faith?
1: Faith is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Faith is truth, okay? It's a set of facts that we understand that God quickens, beyond our mind, into our heart, that God uses to draw us to himself, and we believe. That's what Ephesians 2 says. He says, uh, he says and uh, once you heard the gospel of truth and believed, and you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. That's what faith is.
0: Faith isn't some feelings. Faith isn't some unknown quantity. Uh, God begins with our head, quite frankly, before he gets to here. Faith is truth. And this is what he is telling us to contend for.
1: We contend for the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, number one, we contend by preparing. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord
0: Jesus Christ. They said to you, in these last times, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passion. It is these who cause division, worldly people devoid of the Spirit, but you,
1: beloved, wow, four times he uses this word, urge, you're special, you, beloved, building yourself up in the most holy faith and praying
0: in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life,
1: and have mercy, On those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. And to others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Let's pray. God, I just uh, invite your presence here. I pray uh, that you would use
0: uh, me to share the word. Of the Holy Spirit.
1: Uh, God, I pray that you would feel welcome here this evening. I pray, God, that you would bless each of us as we study your Word, as we worship you, as we take communion, remembering Lord Jesus, your suffering, and your death,
0: and your resurrection. And we pray that in your name, Lord Jesus, for it is you who opened up the way to the holy place, the holy of holy place. It is you that opened up the throne,
1: the mercy seat, where grace and mercy is available. Thank you. Amen. Number one, I want to put a. the next slide up there. This is what we're going to do to prepare.
0: And it was easier to just put it all together. But the first thing we're going to do is we're going to do what we've been taught by our pastor.
1: We're going to learn to recognize the characteristics of a false teacher. And he goes on here. He says, they're ungodly. They follow their ungodly passions. They're
0: scoffers. They've taken grace, and they're saying, but he isn't. He's just a man. He's not the Lord Jesus. He is not deity, and his incarnation, that's just a myth, you know? Needless to say, if he was not incarnated, if Mary hadn't been impregnated by the, the Holy Spirit, he would have a sin nature, and he wouldn't certainly have died for our sins He'd have been right alongside us, but he was deity. And they were scoffing about the grace. And then when they considered the fact, well, maybe he is who he says he is, but he, we don't have to worry about it now. I got to get out of jail card
1: free. I can do what I want. And then when the time comes, I'll just present it. They were teaching this to others in the church. Through the back door, through conversation. They were scoffers. They also perverted the grace of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ. God calls us to look at their fruit. God calls us to look at their world view. Understanding our world view is necessary
0: to be able to resist the teachings of false teachers. Let me, let me share a verse
1: with you. Uh, and it's Romans 12, 3, I think, uh, where Paul talks. And he says, do not be conformed by this world but be transformed
0: by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove that what that good and acceptable will of God is. And you know, when I, when I was a young child, I loved the state fair. You know, I come from Illinois, okay? So every fall, uh, we'd get a watermelon in Havana because that was the best place to get a water. You guys don't know what watermelon's like. <laughs> Havana watermelon, let me tell you. So... We'd go down there, and there was three things I wanted to do. Number one, I wanted to get my bag full of everything that was free, okay? You go to State Fair, I had a bag like that, and I mean, it wouldn't mean much, but I had a lot of junk in it, but it was all free. So as a kid, I filled my bag with free stuff. The second thing I did is I went to the Midway and spent my money on rides, but I always saved two bucks.
1: Because there was one thing I always bought every year, and that was a chameleon. Bought a chameleon, put him on my shirt, red shirt, turn red. Put him on my blue jeans,
0: blue, blue jeans, turn blue. That's what that chameleon did, and he lived maybe for a week and a half till I killed him, you know, <laughs> just by handling him. But this is what God is saying about be not conformed to the world because we get like a chameleon. We take on the world's color. We take on the world's flavor. We take on what the world says is right and wrong. He said, don't be like that. You need to be some other way. And he said, you need to be transformed. And the word transform is metamorphosis. And guess what we get our word metamorphosis from? You know, I, I, I had a, a moth on my garage here this year, and I took a picture of it, and it was just a beautiful, about that big. Couldn't believe it. I took a picture of it, and I said, I wonder what the worm looked like, and so I looked it up because it was one of the royal moths. I can't remember the name of it. Don't make any difference, but it was the ugliest thing you've ever seen, and this is what happens when we renew our mind, and we allow the Word of God uh, to empower us through the discernment of the Holy
1: Spirit. It transforms us, and it changes your worldview of things. Now, you
0: know, we just got done with the election, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Who knows?
1: I don't, I'm not a Republican or Democrat. I'm a Christian, and I'm going to vote my worldview and not the world's worldview. And when
0: society said, well, you need to watch this, and you need to watch that, I get my worldview out. You need a worldview, church. You need to determine what God's perspective of things are and live your life that way. And it only can come through the Word of God. It also comes through interaction with your your brothers and sisters coming to church, uh, being in the Word. Uh, God gave some to be pastors, and uh, God gave some to be apostles, and and and, and eva- prophets, and evangelists, and pastors, and teachers. And why did He do that? He gave them so that they be prepared for works of ministry. Right, Joel? His job is to prepare us for works of ministry. But He says a few other things about that later on in Ephesians four. He says so they don't get tossed around by the doctrines of this world. You need a worldview. And until we all come into unity of the faith,
1: and this is where Satan works his job, as he wants to divide unity. There's a bunch of people with
0: different personalities and, and different upbringings and different likes and different dislikes. And yet, God is able to bring us together, not that we don't disagree, but we disagree agreeably, you know, and we allow the Holy Spirit
1: to mold us into one diverse and not divided group of people called the church. And God says, all right. He says, now I'm going to show you what I can do in you. And that's what he's
0: doing here. I'm going to show you what I can do in you. You need a worldview, understanding our worldview as compared to God. He also goes on and he tells us
1: building yourself up in your most holy faith. And so we prepare by building ourselves up corporately and
0: on an already uh, laid foundation. And I'm going to go into uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and just share a verse with you. Beginning in 10, he says, according to the grace of God given to me, and this is Paul talking, he says, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than what is
1: laid, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. And that's the idea here.
0: Building yourselves up. And the idea is laying upon a foundation that has already been laid. Where are you
1: going to find truth? You're going to look at the news? Are you going to read the books that are out here? The only place you can find truth
0: is through Jesus Christ, because I am the way, the truth, and the life. The place that you're going to be taught truth through the power of the Holy Spirit is the Word. King James says,
1: Thy Word. It's truth. And so we prepare ourselves. Now, we're, I want to understand that we're
0: talking corporately because I'm going back to the word beloved, and he's talking about a class of people. Corporately, we build ourselves up by laying on the foundation that's laid, and that foundation is Jesus Christ. There is no other answer to truth there is no other way to find truth than to look to God because God is the truth. I want to share an illustration here, and then I'm going to hurry because I can see I'm running out of time already. I do this. I cut this thing down five times, Joe.
1: <laughs> but I want to talk about, you know, you ever heard the, the, the term, the world is a stage? That's true about truth. I want to take you back a little bit about, about truth.
0: You know, if we go back into the, into the first century, second century, and we would look at the stage called truth, there would be probably at least three people up there, okay? Now, well, there'd be four. Well, there'd be three. There would be religion, okay? All kinds of religion. But there was one main religion that was taken over, and that was Christianity. And so the people of the day during the time that Joel wrote the, or uh, Jude wrote this christianity the bible was on the stage of truth and there was tradition on there you know tradition was something uh, that families followed they all of us uh, come out of families probably that had tradition uh, and tradition was part of the way to discover
1: truth because mom and dad, dad <laughs> taught this boy over here, okay?
0: And he Joe learned some of God's goodness through tradition, through family life. And there's one other person that wasn't real strong at that period of time on the stage, and that was humanity. Because humanity says we don't need religion. We don't need to be told about what to do because that stuff just don't even mean anything. What we need is man to develop, and we'll find happiness.
1: We'll find content. We'll find answers to all our problems. Well, as the age progressed, the first thing to get weak on that stage was tradition.
0: Back in... And now I'm looking at the United States. Okay, the world's the same
1: way. The United States built on the foundation of the Bible. Tradition, all away. Family life began to be non-existent in many places.
0: So the first thing to left that stage was tradition. And so now what we left with, we're left with the Bible, and we're left with humanity, and. In the late 1800s, early 1900s, a uh, man looked at himself here in the United States and said, boy, we're, we're doing real good. Look at the machines we built. Look at this we made. And look at how much food
1: we're producing. You know, we're the answer. Humanity's the answer. We'll stop wars.
0: We'll stop all this conflict. But we need to get rid of religion. We need to get rid of the Bible, and so we get that off the stage. Now we're left for humanity.
1: Well, in the early 1900s, World War One. Later on, World War II. Later on, or during that time, we had two bombs fall, wiped out two cities. Then we got Korea War. Then we got Vietnam War. Then we got and then we got,
0: and we got, and people looked at mankind and the humanistic manifesto, and they said, they don't do it either. Get rid of
1: him. What's left? What's left up on stage for truth? Nothing. And We got postmodernism. And why am I sharing this with you? you've got the message of truth that nobody's got. It is our time to share the gospel
0: of Jesus Christ and give people truth that they don't. They're looking for it everywhere. They're like people and judges. Everybody did what was right in their own eyes. We've got the truth. We need to have an understanding of God's view. We need to corporately lay the foundation and get a good handle on the gospel of Jesus Christ, then we need to call the church to prayer. Because without prayer, we can do nothing. My, my greatest weakness is praying. My greatest weakness is being consistent when the Lord calls me to prayer. Now, he at least got me trained that, that when I see a, something that I need to pray about, or when somebody said, will you pray about? this or pray that thou, I'll do it right now. Because if I wait till I go to bed, especially at 77, it's over with.
1: <laughs> it's over with. But, uh, but the Holy Spirit, he says here, uh, these people
0: were devoid of the Holy Spirit, but you, beloved, build yourself up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Now, Some people will take this and twist this a little bit and say, well, that's speaking in tongues. I don't think so. Because number one, he's speaking to a corporate issue. Uh, Number two, uh, he is in a point of, of a diabetic type of teaching. Number three, if I look at 1 Corinthians 14, tongues are a big problem. And number four, most of all, Number four is he wanted to instill the need that we have to live a life of Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is our discerning power in the Word of God. He is the one who who convicts us. He's the one who comforts us. He's the one that comes alongside
1: us and says, Jim, he says, you need a little loving today, and he does that because he has a heart of Jesus. He's patient with me. He's kind with me. One thing I wanted to share here is this. I'm going to say this twice. You
0: know, Paul says rejoice twice. I'm going to say this twice because I think it's really important. One thing for sure, you can never build yourself up in the most holy faith without spending time in the Word of God
1: under the discerning power of the Holy Spirit. You can never build yourself up in most holy faith
0: without spending time in the Word of God under the discerning power of the Holy Spirit. It's better than any book
1: that you can read. It's better than any sermon that has ever been preached is that when you
0: get into a quiet place and open up the Word of God and you pray for the Holy Spirit to give you the discernment, not only to understand, but to apply, to put it into your heart. The heart is the center of everything we are. Your will, it's your emotions,
1: it's your desires, it's your dreams, it's everything. And that's what needs to be touched. That's what God needs to look at. That's what God needs to look at. So be sure you spend time in God's Word. Calling the church
0: to prayer, keeping ourselves in the love of God.
1: There can only be one thought here, and I'm going to read it to you. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Want to keep yourself in the will of God? Love Jesus.
0: Learn to love Jesus. Develop that relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ
1: where he loves you. He loves you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them,
0: he it is who loves me and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest
1: myself in him. Keep yourself in the love of God that we find. Looking at the present and light of eternity. Again, real quickly, is waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to
0: eternal life. The day that that trump sounds and the voice of the archangel says, come on up, and we, as a church, come into the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're given a new body. That's the finishing of his total redemption of us. That's the end part of
1: our salvation. We go into the marriage feast of the Lamb. That's it, and that's called hope. Okay, that's called hope. We prepare by maintaining the hope that we have in our Lord Jesus Christ. What is? Switch that to the next. Because I'm going to, okay. We can tan by the faith, by protecting. And he says here a couple things. He says, Have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. Do others show mercy with fear, hating even the
0: garments stained by sin? Yeah, there's three teachings types of people here. This is kind of an area that is hard to decipher by theologians, so it certainly is for me, too. (laughs) So, But anyway,
1: we protect one another. Mercy is showing kindness and concern. That's what mercy is.
0: We get mercy from God. God shows us kindness and concern. I remember Bill Bright Drawing a, 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 um, a, a diagram, and he, he had this, this lake called uh,
1: the Lake of Judgment. And in front of that lake was a dam, and it was labeled the Mercy Dam. And it was
0: holding back God's judgment because God was being kind to us, God was being merciful to us, God was being concerned for us. And then down
1: on the bottom, there was a little package, and it was called grace. And this was the gift of God. For by grace
0: are you saved, not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, at least any of us.
1: But to even think there would be anything that we could do to earn that. It's all grace. And you live, it's all grace. And our walk with the Lord is all grace. It is all God's work in us. We contend by our faith by being merciful to the doubters. And these people, not for sure whether
0: we're talking false teachers here or that we're talking Christian. They both exist. I know that there are times that that I in my life have been working with an unbeliever And you can see them just slowly coming, slowly coming. But that doubt is still there, you know. And and Timothy says that that we should treat with patience
1: and gentleness those who doubt in hopes that they would come into the realization of who Jesus Christ is. And that's
0: Jesus. That, that's the Lord Jesus. You, you look at the Gospels. That's what he was like. He was merciful. He was gentle, not, not to the, the Sadducees and the religious folk he wasn't, but to the rest of the people.
1: He treated them gently and with love and with kindness. The, the other group of people that are called to have mercy on is to others show mercy with fear, having even the garment, or with
0: fear, even the garment stained by the flesh. And these are others that have fallen so far that they just can't get out by themselves. And I'm thinking, and I was going to get in it, but you look at Galatians 6, sometime, verse, chapter 1 through 4, and this talks about. Is a person caught in a sin? You are spiritual. Come alongside him and walk with him and help him, and be careful, because that sin might get into you too. And so he gives us wisdom, and it's the same thing that Jude is saying. And the last thing that he says
1: here, and that's we're going to end with, is a second group of people. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. God calls us to be sharing the gospel. And these are
0: people that have already bought in completely
1: to the false teachings, and they're heading over the brink. And God's saying, you need to grab a hold of them and snatch them. Don't be gentle with them. And these are the people that I take and we take and we just tell them
0: about hell. I was going to read some verses of hell, but I want you to know this about hell. It it is far worse than you can ever imagine. It talks about eternal suffering. It talks about eternal darkness. It talks about eternal falling. It talks about eternal destruction. You need to understand hell is not just for a moment. It's for an eternity. Our loved ones, your family members that don't know our Lord Jesus Christ,
1: we need to be snatching them. Any opportunity we get, we need to be pretty blunt with them. all right. Oh, that they, they're mad at you the rest of your life, at least you try. Out of love, you try. So what does that mean to you? It means that you need to be able to share the gospel. I wanna I'm gonna leave with this half of my sermon. (laughs) Are you able to share your story about your salvation in a fashion that you're able to bring the truth of the gospel into somebody who has never heard it. Let me go a little bit further. Are you able to share the gospel, true meaning of it, in three minutes? Because that's how long you got before they're going to quit her. Are you able to share your salvation experience, your experience in receiving Christ that contains the gospel, that Jesus Christ died
0: for our sins, that he was buried, and he was resurrected the third day, in three minutes without using religious words? Because that's what we need to do. They don't know atonement. They don't know propitiation. They don't know, you know, what all, they don't know anything. They probably don't even know what it means to be saved. But that's what God calls us to do. And
1: we have the responsibility of doing that. George Barna, in his studies of the evangelical church, and they're uh, witnessing, he says, 90% of Christians, by the time they die, have never led one person to the Lord. One. We're going to die out. We're going to die out if we don't do something about that. You've got a worldview, people. You live in a postmodern age. There's there no such thing as truth. You got the truth. We need to share. it. That's what New Eden's about, isn't it? Thank you, and I appreciate it. And Joe, thank you so much.